This week we caught up with our classmate Jeff Eaton, who has spent much of his life as an economist for the state of New Mexico and as a devoted father of two daughters. Many of us have been inspired by his eloquent Facebook chronicles of his current job as an Albuquerque city bus driver, where he shares his reflections on his drives through the city and of the people he meets. We talk a lot about what it means to live a life of integrity, even when you risk losing something to stay true to your values. We talked about finding purpose in meaningful work and about seeing struggling human beings as more than a single snapshot. We also learned about a super secret hangout spot at the Academy way back in the day. Jeff is an amazing storyteller and we are so grateful for the stories he shared with us. Please enjoy this episode with the one and only Jeff Eaton. So today we have a really interesting guest. I am super excited to talk to Jeff. I am too. One of the things that um, I love when I get on Facebook, and I've been getting on Facebook more now because of these podcasts, but one of the real pleasures is getting to see Jeff's chronicles from being a bus driver. And um, he just gets to see a slice of life and his take on things is really, really, really cool. So I'm excited to talk with him. And I knew Jeff before I even went to the academy because his sister and I did gymnastics together in elementary school. Um, So we, we kind of sister, older older sister. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, Her name was Katie and we did gymnastics together and our parents, I think kind of knew each other maybe from being lawyers. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Jeff, um, I, I feel like I always sort of knew him. He was like a super friendly guy. I actually went to homecoming with Jeff my senior year, oh, wow. which was really fun. Yeah. Um, and I had his dad for constitutional law. Um, his dad was my con law teacher. That is so yeah, cool. So- yeah, and that was a really fun class. My our senior year, it was just a one semester class, and um, his dad was great, Roger Eaton. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I had. I Remind had me, of good what did you do for homecoming that year? I don't remember. Did you guys go to dinner at, or? I probably is homecoming the one that's at school. It's like in the dining yes. hall or something. Yes. Okay. No, that was winter ball. I don't know where home, well, homecoming was at school too. I don't remember. I don't either. It's funny, I don't remember that at all. I, I actually remember what I wore, but that's the extent of it. The important stuff. That is so funny. I do not remember. Yeah. Well, you were on homecoming court. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who, did you go who did you go to homecoming with? I don't remember. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Sorry, whoever my date was. Like Nick Peony didn't come back or something. No, take you I don't to- think so. I remember I went to winter ball with Marie. Oh. Um, that year. But I do not remember who I went to homecoming with. And I apologize if I'm forgetting somebody who 
had to schlep around with me that night. Maybe it was just a group of friends. Crazy. Yeah. I was one of those super good kids who I definitely wasn't like drunk, so I don't remember it. Oh, right. No, I would have never shown up to a, a, a dance drunk. I think we did go to an after party. I remember going to an after party, so but I don't remember. That I have no recollection. Huh. Oh, well. Yeah. Perhaps one of our listeners can fill us in. <laughs> They'll confess. You went with me. Your listeners, <laughs> please let us know if you can piece together this very important piece of history. <laughs> it's a mystery. Homecoming. A history mystery. Homecoming, 1988. Yeah. But I know that um, just from our correspondence with Jeff, he's going to tell us a little bit about his journey, yes. which has been what he sort of considers to be a little, um, you know, little, um, oh, well, here he is. So, yeah, hello. How's it going? Good, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. Were you guys wondering if I was going to show up? Nah. No, we knew you I have faith in you. I believe in punctuality, but I tell you, I woke up about a half an hour ago, just showered and was like, Oh God, this thing is starting in like a half an hour. So I'm like over here outside of a car wash going, all right, let's do this thing. And I'm like, I got to upload something. I got to download something. What am I doing here? But I, I figured it out on time. So yay me. Good for you. Well, you were the first, you're the first <laughs> guest who's come to us in a, in a moving vehicle, which I guess feels, um, you know, um, a propo for your for your new gig. Say, you're very comfortable behind the wheel. Have you? <laughs> yeah, my butt is flat, my belly's big. I fit perfectly in this cockpit here. <laughs> my days of running marathons are over. I think. Yes. Well, my days never started. <laughs> I, I I applaud you for that because uh, it was. Uh, it was difficult, but it was enjoyable. But after the bouts of plantar fasciitis, I said, you know, maybe I need to find another uh, thing to do. So I hear you. I've had that affliction myself. Um, and we are just going to leave all the the endurance um, events to Chris Travis. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, I did a, I did a triathlon. I did a couple of them. And uh, I was like really stoked uh, at the time Josh Dogan was in town and uh, got to talk to him a little bit about that. And he's an animal. Uh, yeah. I, I was sort of a middling, uh, you know, slightly overweight guy who was out there just trying to do it. But uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. So, All right. So, Jeff, we're so happy to have you here today. Thank you for being willing to come on and share your story with us. We always start with the same question, and you can take this in any direction you choose. What have you been doing for the last 35 years? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have been meandering through life and tripping over opportunities. Uh, they've just, uh, things, when we left uh, Albuquerque Academy and all kind of took off to college, I think I missed a lot of my friends at first, uh, but I landed in Las Cruces, New Mexico at New Mexico State University. Um, I had moved in with uh, a, a few of our, not our classmates, from the class ahead of us, uh, Angelo Reyes, uh, mm. Sean Brown, uh, Coach Mike Brown's daughter, and Vesa Aerosmith and Denise, uh, uh, gosh, can't remember her last name right now. But anyway, 
Um, it was a house and uh, I had a room. They invited me to come and join them. And uh, my college journey began from right there. Uh, but like as far as the quick uh, Cliff Notes version of what have I been doing since I left high school? Well, um, I did uh, I did drop out of college after a year and a half because I decided I, I didn't want to be an engineer and it was actually more fun to go to uh, the New Orleans uh jazz and heritage festival than it was to take uh my my finals <laughs> so i i effectively uh, uh wrote my own tickets out of school and i went and i went back to albuquerque and worked in a body shop uh fixing cars learning how to do that um i had been doing that in the summer uh after i graduated so i i, I picked up a trade did that and then um i kind of figured out well, what I want to do now, um, I didn't really know. So I just took liberal arts classes. And so I took a, a Shakespeare class. I loved Shakespeare, uh, even, you know, in, in high school. And so uh, I took a, that class, an English class, a composition class, and uh, an economics course. And that's uh, where the twists kind of sort of happened, is I really enjoyed the economics uh, class. And uh and asked a lot of questions and probably annoyed the other students uh, at nauseum. <laughs> but um, it turned out that that was another twist of fate because uh, about a year later, uh, and then at this time I was a, a junior in, in college, my AP credits gave me a little bit of a jump start in, in, my, uh, in my coursework over at New Mexico State. So I was only a freshman for a semester. So um, even after a year and a half, I was already a junior um, in college. And anyway, um, I took a trip uh, out to Mexico and lived with a family in Monterrey because uh, I wanted to learn Spanish more fluently. I wasn't really kind of, you know, you know how our Spanish classes are. We just speak it for about an hour and then we leave. But, uh, you know, it's really hard conversationally to understand what the heck is going on. So I left and I went to school. I went to a, on a student exchange for six months and came back uh, and I was picked up a little job over the summer framing houses, uh, slinging a hammer. And uh, I went back to Las Cruces to visit my sister. Um, she was a senior. Uh, and um, anyway, I ran into this professor who I had in my economics course and he was sitting at a bar <laughs> in a, uh, in Las Cruces and uh, he called me over and, and we talked and we were chatting and it turned out that he just lost his graduate assistant and uh, he asked me if I knew the software program called DBase3, it was a database program. And uh, put on the spot, I was I said, yeah, 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 I know that, that I could do that. And uh, he said, okay, well, come visit me I'm in my office on you know, Tuesday or whatever. It was a Saturday when I ran into him. And so I went to the library and I learned about DBase 3 Plus <laughs> and uh, went and nice, nice. And, and, <laughs> and, went, and went to go visit him in his office. And he he uh, he offered me the uh, graduate internship that was vacated. And so I was a graduate assistant as a junior in high in, in college. And I had my own office in the business college. It was really a trip. And uh, that kind of just sort of, uh, you know, those things are sort of like, I want to say, meandering through life. I was just sort of at the right place at the right time. So I graduated with a degree in international business, a degree in economics, um, uh, 
language minor and uh, I, I graduated uh, graduate school. I did graduate school for three, effectively three years, three and a half years. And I had a lot of graduate assistantships, worked with a lot of professors, helped author uh, some academic papers and that sort of thing. And uh, and uh, got my master's in economics and policy analysis with a specialty in environmental economics. But my interview with the EPA uh, didn't go well. Um, they wanted to do like, you know, sort of taxing, polluting investors or investors who Investors who invest in polluting companies, they wanted to tax them. And I, I kind of put my foot down and said, that's market manipulation. You shouldn't do that and blah, blah, blah. And so I didn't hear. I didn't. <laughs> that was not the answer they wanted to hear. So I guess I threw the interview, if you want to put it that way. I just didn't believe in their philosophy. So um, I got out of college and there was a recession and uh, I didn't really kind of know what was like out there i mean i knew what wasn't out there there wasn't economics jobs here in new mexico so um i took up uh doing some graphic design work um my mom had been a graphic artist uh for many years very very talented um did medical illustrations and such for for uh lawyers here in town um so i would help her uh, on occasion as a high school student and I came back and I just started to learn the software, PageMaker, Photoshop, Quark, Express, all these things. And uh, I found myself, I got landed into a job uh, working for a politician named Raymond Sanchez, who was the Speaker of the House. And he lived in our district. And so I did some of his political advertising. It was the political season, uh, election season that year. Um, and that kind of turned my attention towards going back to working uh trying to work for the state of New Mexico with my economics degree instead of trying to be, you know, a, you know, a, whatever consulting firm or something like that. So that sort of pushed me into uh, trying to get a job with the state. Um, I did the graphic designs for a couple of years. And then finally, because after a lot of interviews and, you know, basically, thank you for interviewing, but we we're going to find somebody else, blah, blah. Um, I finally got a job with the Legislative Finance Committee, and that set me on my career path uh, with the state of New Mexico. And I uh, worked for the state of New Mexico for 21 years after that as an economist, a CFO. Um, I was in charge of uh, the school capital outlay program, which was about a $250 million a year uh, construction program. Um, I helped fix a lot of schools, went to a lot of ribbon cuttings, um, and just had a really wonderful career. And in the meantime, I had gotten married. Um, my wife and I, we raised two children. One of them's off to college now, and uh, I'm driving a bus. Yeah, so that's that's the quick and short of it. But, uh, you know, I, I skipped over what happened during COVID and all that. But you guys want to talk a little bit about some of the details in between. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, I would love, I definitely want to talk about that. And, and before we go back there, I just want to, I mean, go, yeah, back there. I'm curious about how those years when you went to the Jazz and Heritage Festival and you worked in the body shop and kind of were piecing things together, what did you learn about yourself through the non-school experiences? Um, well, one of the good things that I learned about myself is that I'm adaptable. Um, 
I'm very, um, I'm pliable in the sense that um, I can switch gears, mm -hmm. you know, if something happens. Um, but also that I'm very stubborn hmm. and uh, <laughs> sometimes I lack poor budget. Uh, poor judgment and have poor impulse control. <laughs> uh, I, I'm being completely honest. I mean, uh, it's it's part of my character to like see the shiny thing and go for it. Um, but in some ways, that's uh, kind of worked out for me. But it's sort of dumb luck, mm. you know. Uh, some of the things that happen your way. I mean, I didn't go to. Uh, college with intention per se I was just going for the experience I wasn't like I'm going to be a doctor like my daughter Erica you know wants to be and, and she's probably going to do it because she's just that gung-ho but I didn't go to college with, with that attitude I was just like I'm out of high school yay and uh, Dr. Wong got it in my head that uh, I was a good math student um, but it took some work on his part to make me that, um, and, and, uh, sheer stubbornness on my part to, to make that so, uh, so that, that was an important lesson early on was that if you want something bad enough and you work hard at it, you can get it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes what you, uh, think you want isn't really what is in the plan or what you mm -hmm. need. So those two things are kind of rubbing against each other uh, throughout my, um, you know, sort of meandering through life. But um, the opportunities just sort of dropped in your lap and you go, well, yeah, OK, I'll try that because it just seems like that would be interesting. I'm not here to for anybody's agenda, you know, or to like be the prodigy son of my father as an attorney or something like that. Mm -hmm. I did look into like going to law school. I, I, I took classes when I dropped out. I took classes over at the, the state bar of New Mexico, but it just turned out that I, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to mm -hmm. do that for one reason was because I didn't want to be in my father's shadow. He was such a good lawyer mm -hmm. is such a good mm -hmm. lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to strike out on my own and be my own individual. I love that story about D base three, because what it says to me, I mean, there's confidence is something that gets us so far in life. And there is the confidence that, yes, I know how to do that. And then there's the confidence mm -hmm. of, I know I can figure out how to do that. And yes. I love that uh, we heard something very similar from Brad. You probably heard him talk about that, this idea that, um, yeah, I don't, I don't quite have, I'm a little rusty in that but I can get up to speed. <laughs> um, yes. It's yes. so great. We, we need to take those leaps and have confidence in our abilities to, to figure things out ourselves and also that there will be other people around that are happy to help us figure it out along the way. Yes, and it really is a leap of faith uh, in yourself. And I think our experiences, um, maybe through our uh, quote-unquote programming at Albuquerque Academy to let us uh, sort of branch out and spread out. I had an internship. We all had sort of, sort of opportunity to go and go work someplace else or do something like, you know, for a few months and come back and, you know, kind of report on it during our senior year. I went to go work at uh, a radio station. Um, 
I was uh, working at uh, 94 Rock. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> You're in the so evenings. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I called up the DJ one night and I said, I want you to play the song of all songs. And it is Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. <laughs> and I got to tell you, he let the commercials run a little longer and proceeded to rip me apart. <laughs> On my music taste <laughs> for about for about two minutes and he says hold on i'll be right back and he put me on hold so he can go back on the air and do his you know segue into the music again and he comes back and he continues to start to berate me and and i started to like you know fight back a little bit and uh we started to get into a back and forth about uh you know music and classical rock and stuff like that and he started to quiz me well i've been a classical rock aficionado for for many years even at the age of 17 and uh and so i started to answer these questions and he was like you know who is the lead singer of motorhead and what was the first album of led zeppelin what was its name and you know blah 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 and i was answering him and i you know and he was like you know what is your favorite uh song by um Def Leppard or whatever it was. And I, and anyway, through the end of the conversation, he says, do you want to be an intern? I said, uh, what's that mean? He says, you're going to work for free. You're going to get me coffee. Um, you're going to have to go on smoke breaks. So if you don't smoke, you have to learn how to smoke. And I said, I smoke. He says, okay. So I woke my parents up at 10 30 PM. Cause that's what time it was. And I said, I got to go down to the radio station right now. And they were like, and you know, waking up and they're like, what, what, what? And I said, I've been, offer I've been offered an internship at 94 Rock, and I've got to go down there right now, or I'm not going to get it. And they're like, okay, how long are you going to be gone? I said, I don't know. And they were just like, <laughs> we'll just be back home soon. And I said, okay. So I went down to the radio station. I met them. And that's how it happened. I mean, it was just one of those weird things that just, uh, you know, sort of land. And it happens. You just have to be in the right place at the right time. And oh. life changes happen that way. That is you know? such a great story. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Our, what a great meander, right? That was like a great example of a of a wonderful meander. Yes, <laughs> and, and our young listeners are probably got, going, "Why would you call a radio station?" But that's what we did when you wanted them to play a song, when you were entering one of their contests. You you dialed a seven digit number to talk to somebody. Yes. <laughs> so. We, one time when we were in middle school, we pretended we were a radio station and we were calling our classmates and asking them if they can, you know, name this song. And we played like rat round and round or something like that. And, and it was like me and maybe it was Brad and Sam McClay and, and a couple other people, uh, Ben Martin, but we, we called them up. We told them that like, you just won and uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And go be at the state fairgrounds on the whatever uh, west entrance and, and uh, pick up your prize. And so we did this on a Friday night. And so we saw all these people on Saturday morning, or not a lot of people, but a few people who we called, showing up with their parents, looking around, looking for somebody where they were going to get a prize. And it was just a lot. We did that. Yeah. I don't think I was a victim of your antics, but... Um... <laughs> shenanigans <laughs> well do you want to you know you you sort of left uh, a little bit of a opening there a window for yeah um some some other parts of your story um and we'd love to pick up where you left off um 
maybe tell us a little bit about what happened in some of those more, more challenging years or years where you were maybe me and maybe they weren't challenging. Maybe you were just meandering in a different way. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it got to be that I was again in the right place at the right time to, uh, help start build this agency, uh, called the public school facilities authority. Hmm. The legislature had, uh, a lot of new money, uh, and a court decision came down from, uh, what was called the Zuni lawsuit that they had to fix all the schools and make them equitable all across the state. Um, the th thing that happened to me was I was working as an economist at the uh, legislative finance committee and uh, the capital outlay uh, person in our office couldn't go to this training meeting on this new database where it was going to basically rank all the schools in the state based upon their their capital outlay conditions their their physical plant how the buildings are you know so she asked me to go in her stead and i i did um and i sat next to this guy who i never met before and who i didn't know and we're getting this training on this software and i happened to be sitting next to him and he's i could see he's struggling a little bit uh navigating uh the software on his laptop and and i'm you know i helped him out so i was like okay now click over here now use this drop down menu click that click that and i'm giving you know i'm just helping out a guy who's just like you know kind of you know fumbling around a little bit and uh that guy actually turned out to be the newly uh hired director of this newly created agency and I just happened to sit next to him. So here's me, the economist for the legislative finance committee. He, this guy goes, can I have your card? And I said, yeah, sure. And so I gave him my card and he didn't have a card yet because he just got hired and it's a brand new agency or whatever, but he got my card and I just walked away and never thought a thing of it. Well, he called me about two days later and um, he invited me to coffee. And I was a little, you know, it was strange. I was like, what does this guy want? You know, I mean, uh, I don't even know him. And all of a sudden he's like, hey, you want to go get coffee? And I was like, um, yeah, that would be fine. I said, but what is this concerning? Because at first I thought maybe he was like hitting on me. And I was like. I'm not interested in you, man. But he said, I've uh, been hired to start this new agency and I want to talk to you about it. And that's all he said. So I said, okay. So we went and had coffee and um, he told me what was going on, that the state had been sued and they were found that they were needing to fix and build all these schools. And he didn't have anybody uh, he had hired yet but he wanted to hire me. And uh, I was like, why do you want to hire me? I mean, you don't even know me. And he said, well, you were very helpful to me. And uh, I know that you work for the Legislative Finance Committee, which has a lot of respect. And uh, I need someone to be my finance person, but you're an economist. And I don't want somebody who's an accountant. I want someone who can think outside of the box. 
And I said, well, all right, well, let me think about it. Uh, make me an offer and, uh, you know, send it to me. And so he did. And it was a, it was a good offer. Uh, it paid more than what I was getting paid. And uh, it was a brand new thing, brand new shiny thing. Um, there was a lot of risk involved because we didn't have anything. We didn't even have a typewriter. There was literally nothing. We had to borrow office space until we got it started, but um, we did. And the thing that kind of challenged me at that time uh, was my own confidence in myself because I'm like, all of a sudden I've got this $2 million to help build a new agency to me, you know? And I was like, I've never done anything like this before. And my own boss, even when I told him when I was resigning, he said, you're going to fail. And I was like, wow, man, wow. really? You, you're saying that to me after working for you for three years? Yeah, he he didn't have confidence in uh, the whole mission, the whole thing. But it turned out, I'll, I'll fast forward about five years. The director hired me. We hired about 25 other people. We leased a building. We bought cars. We got people in offices around the state. We surveyed all of the deficiencies in the state of all these schools with 21 contractors, architects, within about six months and gave a report to our, our, our council. And we started this agency and uh, what was supposed to be a temporary thing for three years became a permanent agency and was a uh, flagship agency for other states trying to do the same thing. And I did that for 15 years and uh, we got accolades. I was, I spoke at conferences about our uh, project management systems that I developed by hand. Um, first it was all spreadsheets cause I'm a spreadsheet guy. Uh, but we converted it all online and, uh, and got it into a um, enterprise, basically a uh, software web-based system and uh, it's golden. And I walked away from that and went to go work for uh, the, the the full legislature, uh, legislative council service. I was the economist for the legislature. That was the basically the pinnacle uh, position that I was looking to get from when I started back in, uh, uh, what year was it? It was 1998. So by 2015, I'd reached mm -hmm. the peak and I was there. Um, and then I walked away from it. I walked away because I was bored. I just, when I got there, it was, I thought I was going to be like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've helped draft lots of legislation and uh, made things good and better uh, for New Mexico um, through my acts, but also through, you know, helping legislators draft bills and they become laws and that sort of thing. I've met governors. I've met, I know tons of people, um, but that's not important. What's important is what, what is it that's really kind of pushing you and driving you? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't getting that anymore. So I was uh, looking kind of to back out and I started looking toward like the horizon, like retirement's coming up in about three years. And that's when COVID hit mm -hmm. and it just turned my life upside down. Same but, word, um, yeah, I'll pause how, there. How did COVID affect your thoughts about what you want to be doing with your life on a day-to-day -day basis? Mm -hmm. Hmm. It changed everything. Um, 
I had just resigned from my position at the legislature. And it was, I remember it. I was talking to a legislator who was uh, actually a scientist at um, Sandy National Labs. And um, I said, what do you think about this? Uh, it was Wuhan mm -hmm. virus mm -hmm. at the time. It was called that. And he says, I have no idea. Uh, but this is the kind of guy, the guy who I was talking to is this legislator. And I won't mention his name just for privacy's sake. But uh, he's one of those guys where they put on a plane and they fly them into wherever patient zero is. Mm. So he could figure out what's going on. And... Um, what he told me was, I don't know, man, but it doesn't look good. Mm. And uh, I remember that conversation in the hallway at the roundhouse. And I thought, oh, man. That's mm. all I thought. Mm. But anyway, I had already put in my resignation and was leaving. And I was going back to that, that agency that I helped start, the Public School Facilities Authority. And I'd been there about a month. Uh, the state had just shut down. We had been shut down for about 30 days. And I discovered some uh, financial uh, improprieties that was going on with this project up in northern New Mexico. I won't mention the project name or the school district. But anyway, um, I got really mad about it because I was just like, how, how are they doing this? How are they letting this happen? And it was the person who had basically, my direct supervisor was the deputy director. And she was the one who pushed to the buttons, if you will, on uh, moving some money where it shouldn't have been. And um, I became a whistleblower. And, a, and a, to make a long story short, I became a whistleblower and I got fired mm -hmm. um, right as COVID started. And uh, it upended my life. Um, it really stressed out uh, my partner at the time, uh, me being out of work. Mm -hmm. And... Um, she decided that she needed to do something else. And that was a difficult, difficult decision for me, for her to make, because I had bought this house for us and we had my two daughters and her three children, um, two sons and a daughter, all living under the same roof. And I put her name on the mortgage. Um, you know, everything was on the up and up, but I have to admit, I missed some red flags um, with her. And uh, I was just so gung-ho about, you know, doing this Brady Bunch thing. <laughs> but it turned out to be a huge mistake, huge mistake financially. Um, so during COVID, basically, I lost tons of wealth. I had to walk away from the house um, because she walked away. And, and uh, I was left basically without an income paying this mortgage. And so I tried to sell it, but um, I wasn't able to sell it on time. So I had to walk mm -hmm. away from it all. And I went from being a guy who, you know, was part owner in a ranch in northern New Mexico, owned two houses, uh, to being someone who was basically left with $20,000 and it was going fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, I had to rebuild everything from there. So my, uh, my adaptability um, kicked in. Um, I had become very depressed, I should say, and I want to mention that uh, as part of this podcast mm -hmm. is mental health is uh, something that affects us all. Absolutely. I became depressed and I got I got prescribed uh, Xanax for my uh, depression and anxiety, which is uh, by many uh, expert uh, accounts, 
the absolutely wrong drug to be on for uh, depression and anxiety. Like, it's a small, short-term fix, uh, but I was prescribed it in over eight months. I became addicted to it, so I had to go to treatment. Um, I had to I had to basically drop out of life and uh, go into treatment uh, to get off of the uh, the addictions, and so um, that basically put my life on hold. Uh, my kids had to go back and live with their mom. I'd lost my house. I'd lost my job. And I came back out of all this um, with nothing almost. When I got a job with the city, I, I had been a student at CNM getting my truck driving, uh, trying to get my CDL, commercial driver's wow. license. And that was my plan B because uh, when I was uh, unemployed for so long uh, during COVID, no one was hiring economists. No one mm -hmm. was hiring anyone. It was just everybody was in sheer terror and panic. Um, and so was I. So um, I recovered from my addiction. Um, I came back out. <clears throat> I wasn't able to finish the CDL program because I got COVID myself. Oh, no. And I had to, I, yeah, I had to quarantine. Uh, so I was like in a hotel. Over there by the airport with people from Metropolitan Detention Center, you know, and, uh, it's like I couldn't go live with my parents because they're elderly, you know, and, you know, it's just like I'm in between houses. Ah, and so I was homeless. I was literally homeless. I was living in a hotel like for like mm -hmm. three or four weeks. It was just a mad, mad situation. But um, when I got out of quarantine and I was all good and everything, I just uh I applied online on my phone uh, to the city of Albuquerque to try to get back in some place where they're going to help me meet my goal of getting my retirement pension. And that met the bill and they hired me. And literally that was it. I'm like, okay, I'm working. I'm getting money in my checking account again. I'm not going to die. I'm going to be able to, you know, rent a house and start to rebuild my life. And that's what I did. Um, I got out of credit card debt, which was about $14,000 worth. Um, I don't know anybody, anything at all. I've got about $20,000 in savings right now, but I've got a daughter in college now. So we'll see how that goes. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm about, uh, 16 months away from collecting my pension and being able to go off and, uh, do something else, which includes getting my CDL again, still my, my full blown drive tractor trailer rigs and travel anywhere I want. And uh, also I'm going back to sailing school. I've got a sailboat in Maine. That's uh, where my parents live now. And uh, I've been sailing for about 20 years uh, with my father and my uncle who just recently passed away. And then I'm going to go and uh, get recertified for scuba diving. So I've got a lot of plans for me uh, being on the water and under the water. And also driving this little uh, little fast car on the track. So I've got uh, – I'm not done oh yet. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like you're just beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a new chapter yeah. for sure. I love it. You know, we were – I'm loving it right before now. Before you got on, we were talking a lot about how much we really love to read your chronicles of driving the city bus in, New, in Albuquerque. Well, thank it's, you. They're really beautifully written. And um, they are uh, so interesting. <laughs> and I'm curious, what are you, what's surprising you about that work? And what are you learning? Whew, wow. Um, 
That's a big question. Um, well, first, what surprised what surprised surprised me uh, about uh, driving the bus, a bus, something you know, it's kind of blue collar, right? Something I've never done before. I didn't. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to like it or or do it. You know, um, so it surprised me that way that I really liked it because it gives me um, that sort of a, it's my office, it's my own place. No one's telling me what to do, so it it uh, it, it it it's a good fit for my stubbornness. Uh, that I don't like to be told what to do ever on anything. Ask my father, he'll tell you. I love your dad, by the way. Um, I had him for I had him for con law, so he was the best. <laughs> Thank you. I'll let him know. I'm, I'll tell for him sure. about this interview. I'm sure he'll be love listening yeah. to it. Uh, however, um, what I think what is most gratifying about the job right as I see it right now, speaking to you, is that every day I get to see, and, and maybe this is a terrible thing to say, but I have a lot of gratitude for the things that I have. I have a lot of gratitude for uh, having recovered from being addicted to narcotic drugs. I see the suffering every day. And... Uh, Sometimes I, sometimes I hate it. Like I don't even want these people to get on the bus, right? Being truthful, it's just like some of these people are gross, mm -hmm. and they're thieves, and it's really not a nice, nice place to work. But you know, I remember that these people are just going through part of their life. This is just a snapshot mm -hmm. of who they are. And I got to remember that. I got to remember that everybody's got a journey and they're, I'm just seeing maybe the worst part of their journey. Maybe I'm hoping it's just the worst mm -hmm. part of their journey. But the thought and the mindset is that um, have a little sympathy, give them a little grace, be kind if you can slow down for a few seconds and pick them up and that's something that makes them get to where they need to be tonight and safe, then, you know, that's good. So I get to help out people every day. Um, working in an office sometimes in a roundhouse on the fourth floor, 50 feet away from the entrance to the governor's office was glorious, but oftentimes it just didn't give you the connection that you need to make to make you feel like you made a difference today. Driving a bus, I know I'm making a difference to somebody every day, mm -hmm. and that's nice. And I just got all these rich, rich experiences of different people that I meet and hearing their stories. And as like you said, um, I'm writing them down, and that's given me a lot of fuel for my uh, my creativity uh, and my uh, mm -hmm. my style as a writer. I've been working on spreadsheets uh, like 
you know, the, the kind of computer stuff that most of the world doesn't care about. But it made things click and it made things run for the career that I had for, for many years. But now I get to explore a different side of my, uh, my interest and skill um, as a storyteller. And so it's fun. It's fun. The hours are grueling. They're horrible. Absolutely horrible. I don't know what I'm driving, what route I'm driving until 12 hours before I do it. But that's also uh, exciting. And it uh, speaks to what I like is, you know, the unknown. Well, I have to, I mean, this is sort of a little bit of a tangent, but um, first of all, thank you. That's amazing. I mean, what an amazing perspective that has given you and is giving me right now just about what it is like to, to drive um, a city bus. But I will also say that my dad took that city bus from our house on 12th Street up to the university most, um, not not most of his career, but a lot of it. Um, you know, he just chose to do that instead of driving up to the university where parking was hard and you know, we didn't live that far and it was super easy just to get on the Central Avenue bus right by the doghouse, right? <laughs> you, you that picture yep. with the other yep. day and to just shoot up to the, to the university and, and back. And my mother, when I would want to go to the mall as a teenager, she would she would make me take the bus. So I, I took that bus quite mm -hmm. a bit. Um, I, I, I don't think many of our classmates took the bus a lot, but because... My parents were New Yorkers. They were like, take the bus. You can take the bus. It's five cents. Right. Take the bus. My mother always used to say she didn't drive past San Mateo, so <laughs> she refused to go past that. Um, and she, you want mm -hmm. to go to the mall? You need to take the bus because I don't drive past San Mateo. So uh, let me let me tell you let me tell you a little story <laughs> on that. When I was a sixth grader and seventh grader, uh, not so much eighth grade, but um, there were a few students at Academy that took the bus. I remember taking the bus from Wyoming down to Candelaria. But who got on with me was uh, another Academy student named uh, Jason Bickerstaff. And he was a bass player in the band, uh, if you remember, with, uh, who was it, uh, the drummer Blair. Yeah. Blair Newsome, and it was, uh, oh gosh, I'm just having a brain fart. But anyway, Jason Bickerstaff, uh, Arthur Chu, he was uh, a Chinese, uh, uh, at least that was his ethnicity. Um, Jason yeah. Ning, uh, he didn't stay very long uh, at Academy, but we all took the bus. And, uh, it was really um, no big deal. It was it was okay. I could get the Slurpee over at the Seven Eleven <laughs> on Wyoming and, and uh, yeah. Candelaria. It's great. Not good for my body, but great anyway. But yeah, yeah, riding the bus. But I, I got a lot of rides too with uh, teachers when I was growing up. I got uh, I carpooled with uh, Charlie Wong. Um, he picked me up in the morning, and uh, also uh, Frank Slevin yeah. who. I don't think our class really knows because he had uh, yeah, he retired, retired since then. But, the upper um, school. He was a he was a legend. Yeah, great great guy. He had a 
green Carmen Ghia so convertible. Cool. That was fun to ride to school in. Yeah. Well, when, when we talked with Jocelyn a few weeks ago, she talked about she rode the uh, the bus as well because she never got a car. She never even got a driver's license in high school. Uh, oh, yeah. So really, yeah. There's there's wow. a, I, I bet a lot of us have have had some of that experience. <laughs> And she got rides from John Gray. Yeah. Cool. So neat. Ah, Mr. Like, Gray. You know, like our teachers drove us to school and nice. how amazing. <laughs> yeah. I remember if anybody's had Charlie Wong as a teacher, like I'd get in the car with him and he drove up a, a blue Honda uh, Civic and he would not talk at all during the uh, ride. And I remember he always had it on classical music. Or no, wait. Frank Slevin had on classical music. Dr. Wong had on NPR. And usually when we got to school, he's like, so did you do your homework last night? You know? Because we would get there an hour early because he wanted to have coffee with uh, Scooby Claybacher and Daryl Gage and my dad. And they, we'd all hang out, not we, they would hang out in Scooby's lab classroom and, uh, and drink coffee an hour before school to shoot the bull. And I'd be doing my math homework in the corner. I love that. <laughs> Why not? Who says you have to do it the night before? As long as it's done for class, who cares? <laughs> and if I have a question, my teacher's right there. <laughs> Awesome. You know, a lot of times yeah. in these interviews, we ask people, you know, what are you most proud of professionally? and Or what are you most proud of personally? And I feel like I thought, do we need to ask these questions? Because I feel like your whole journey is a story of choosing to be honorable, the adaptability, the resilience. So I don't know whether it's even fair to ask you to pick a couple of points, you know, but, um, but if anything is coming to mind in terms of, you know, looking back at all that, what are you most proud of? Um, that's, uh, wow. Well, you know, pride is one of the seven deadly sins, right? According to Dante. <laughs> well, I would, I would probably say my, my, the, what I'm most proud of is sticking to my guns, being true to my character. Um, you know, I I uh I did some forensic accounting in my first years at legislative finance committee that helped uh the FBI uh indict the former state treasurer Michael Montoya for my computer work, the stuff I knew how to do. That was gratifying. The Leaving my job, even though my boss said I would fail. Sticking to my guns. The whistleblower lawsuit recently has been devastating to me. But 
I stuck to my guns. My reason for getting a divorce while my children were 10 years old and 11 years old was painfully difficult, but I did it because I didn't think that the person who I was with uh, stuck to their end of the, the bargain. And, you know, these are not easy decisions. They were painful. Um, but at the end of the day, your best decisions aren't the easy ones. They're not the glorious ones. But if you stay true to yourself and your character, then you've lost nothing. Even if you've lost what some people consider everything. So that would be probably what I'm most proud of is that, you know, I, I stayed true to what I believed in, even though it caused me great mm -hmm. uh, hardship. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I would say, both mm -hmm. personally and professionally. I can see that. I think and I appreciate that's, that's, it. That's, yeah. I think it's totally something to be proud of, <laughs> even if it's a sin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. I don't think I'm impressed. No. <laughs> you know, like, how do you live a life of integrity and and just you know, um, do what you know to be right in your heart? Mm -hmm. It's hard, and it's a very subjective thing. What I consider mm -hmm. to be right may not be somebody else's. You got to let mm -hmm. people be who yeah. they are. I mean, when I was going through the difficult times during COVID, my kids were not very understanding. Teenage daughters are not oh, very understanding people for for much. And so that was very painful and difficult for me to uh, having to go through my struggles and them not understanding what was going on. But, you know, their dad is back now, you know, and he's trying to, you know, do right. But I've always uh, been supportive of them. But when I sent them basically to go back to live with their mother when I was going through my uh, mental health issues, um, it was the right decision it was difficult and painful and it has probably lifelong repercussions for them. Um, but the right decisions are not the easy decisions necessarily. They're, they are what they are. And so they know I love them and that's, you know, I take, I take solace in that, but I wish the relationship was better, but, um, you know, that's not uh, up to me. How other people do and be in life is uh, up to them. So I try to let people be who they are. And working and driving on the bus, um, it's important for me to keep that in mind, that these people are just in a place. And I'm not, uh, I'm not the judge and I'm not the jury. I'm just here to give them a ride and hopefully help them out and uh, try to let them you know, sort this out for themselves. The drug addiction thing out here. Um, well, you've read my, my, my bus chronicles. Um, I've seen horrible things, but I've also mm -hmm. seen very hopeful things. Taking that bus, the 54 in the morning, the one that goes up Bridge Street, right past the methadone and suboxone clinic, when there's nine men who made their way downtown to wait at 6.30 in the morning for that bus so that they could uh, get their... Uh, their dose, their treatment of uh, suboxone or methadone or whatever, or their therapy. 
they've made a commitment to themselves to be there at six thirty in the morning and uh, yeah. take that trip. So yeah. I'm happy for them. I'm mm -hmm. hopeful for them. They're everybody, not everybody's going to make it, but uh, they're putting one foot in front of the other. And uh, to see that is, uh, you know, yeah. it's heartwarming. Have you thought about turning your chronicles into uh, a book of some sort? Yes, I have, and I and I intend to. It's really, gosh, I know Al Parks got some stuff out there, and uh, of course David Eagleman, and I love David Eagleman's. I mean, God, when he started writing, and I mean, I was always interested in neurology and brain chemistry and that sort of thing, but golly, gee, man. I, I read everything and watch everything that David yeah. Eagleman does. And uh, yeah. it's so cool. I mean, so fun to know that, hey, I know a guy who's famous, you know, know what? Uh, and famous for something yeah. cool. <laughs> I know. Not infamous. Famous. <laughs> well, he, he was already famous in high school because his dad was a, like an arms dealer or something like that. <laughs> Okay, so Jeff, oh what gosh. I'm hearing is you're gonna we've got a, a book of bus chronicles to look forward to. We've got we've got your you do, sailing, yes. scuba diving. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. super excited for your next chapter. Yes. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I just hope I don't die being towed by my own boat. And <laughs> I have faith. I have faith. You know, with with a with a rope tied by you know my, on my ankle or something like that. You know, something something like half of all pickups from the Coast Guard are for people who are peeing off the back of their boat. I'm not kidding. Your you. dad is not going to let that happen to you. Roger Eaton is going to make sure you're tethered to the, oh. <laughs> to the boat. <laughs> yeah, we hope so. Well, we'd love to. I'll be all right. We thought we would, um, this has been amazing and I'm so excited to hear about your past and your future. And, um, we thought we would maybe go back just for a, a brief moment to high school. You know, once again, this isn't a podcast about our high school right. years, but about who we've become, but it's fun to revisit those days just for a few. And we have a 10 question flash round yeah. that we kind of ask everyone and you are more than welcome to pass okay. if you do not have an answer to a question. Um, if you want to expand a little bit on a question, that's fine too. But um, there are 10 questions. We ask everyone the same questions. And we are excited to start with um, the very first one, which was, is, who was your high school crush? Leslie Aww. Sanchez. She's wonderful. I love seeing her work as a physician in Oregon now. And she seems like such a badass. I love it. Yes. Uh, question two, munch pudding or veal birds? Discuss. Munch pudding because there was two flavors, <laughs> chocolate and vanilla and Loy Lagore was awesome. <laughs> he was an icon for sure. <laughs> what clothing brand or brand did you rep in high school? Uh, Pacific o oh, Ocean yeah. Pacific oh, yeah. OP. 
You have some OP shorts. <laughs> Mostly shirts because we weren't allowed right. to wear shorts. But yeah. Nice. But yeah, OP probably. What car did you drive in high school? And how did it meet its demise? Ooh. Yeesh. Um, my first car was a 1976 Dodge truck with a 383 motor, and it was a muscle truck, and it was called the Warlock. And it wasn't a name I picked. It was the name the manufacturer picked, but it was one of the first muscle trucks and one of the last muscle trucks that Chrysler ever made. And it's met its demise uh simply because we sold it it was just a gas guzzler but uh chris boson and brad bryan and i used to drift our trucks out on the mesa uh at high speeds dangerous uh stupid things i'm not familiar with what what drifting your truck is what can you explain that sure um Drifting is when uh, you lose traction uh, in your rear wheels, in your uh, your the, the rear end of your car slides around kind of sideways, but you steer into the turn and it's a kind of a controlled out of control wow. thing. Okay, learn something. <laughs> yeah. So the next question might be a little hard for you, just given your love of music and maybe your intern ship at 94 rock exposed you to a lot of different music but what when you think back on high school was there a song or a band that you really thought was sort of your quintessential music soundtrack to that to those years oh boy oh boy oh boy um yes and it's got an asterisk (laughs) on it um I really, really didn't like, uh, I was into heavy metal, as you know, uh, Brad and I and and the boys, uh, we were like going to Dio and Iron Maiden and Twisted Sister and such and such, but those weren't really my favorites when I think back on it. Um, I liked Metallica and I got to meet Metallica once while I was in high school and then again later when I was uh, in college um, as a roadie at the Pan Am Center. So Metallica was uh, one of those groups that just kind of grabbed me like, uh, wow, what is this? I was into their music from the very beginning, but um, I really got to say I'm going to put an asterisk on this because even though I I really kind of didn't like kind of get what uh, Matt Greenberg uh, was into with uh, and Kurt Kaiser with the Joy Division and uh, Depeche Mode and uh, The Cure, but I discovered that I really, really liked 
that music once I opened my eyes, opened my mind to it. Um, it was uh, beautiful stuff. And Duran Duran even. And George Michael. I mean, there's all sorts of things that I kind of disposed or despised when I was in high school. But then later when I got into college, um, I started to just kind of open my mind and discovered the beauty that they saw already. Cool. Well, I just saw Duran Duran in concert twice this year. So I'm a big fan. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Jeff, what high school teacher had the greatest impact on you? Without a doubt, uh, Charlie Wong. Yeah. Basically, he uh, told me in not so many, in not, in not, in not these words, <laughs> you suck. You know, like, like he wanted you to put in effort and, uh, and try hard. And I wasn't that student when I met him when I was a junior. And so he pissed me off. Um, because he put me up there in front of the board repeatedly uh, to do proofs that he knew I didn't study and embarrassed myself in front of my classmates. So he purposely put me through personal pain and it pissed me off. But that anger I channeled into trying harder and studying more. And I remember the first day of class of pre-cal, he said, if at the end of this year, you can honestly call me a son of a bitch, then I've done my job, <laughs> which is not really PC in any, uh, by any standard. But I remember the last day of class and I walked up to his desk <laughs> and I called him a son of a bitch. And, uh, and I told him, can I take your AP class? And he just went, ha, 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 ha. We'll see, <laughs> Mr. Eaton, we'll see. <laughs> And uh, I took his AP course and I did well. And that's what really uh, kind of launched me into wanting to be an engineer at first. But it, my math career and my math uh, aptitude uh, has served me well in my career as an economist. And uh, I think Jessica him for and it. I often talk about how our math aptitude, which was less than less than zero, um, has, has not served us well. But we're glad that someone <laughs> had math aptitude. It wasn't us. <laughs> What was your favorite hangout spot, either on campus or off? Um, I'll name both. On campus was back in the hole. No. Nope. You guys know what the Tell hole us is? now. <laughs> All right. Well, there was a spot um, over there near San Antonio at the edge of uh, Corner of Academy in San Antonio. Right. You know, when, yep. when they built the new fence, well, there was a little spot where you could, if you had a truck, um, could pop the curb off of San Antonio and get in and on campus uh, at Albuquerque Academy. And there was a spot, there was a low spot that the security guards and nobody could see. And uh, a couple of us, and I will not name those people, uh, would go sit back there uh, during a free period and uh, smoke <laughs> things and, and then go back to class. So that was I my favorite on-campus spot. I didn't even know. I knew nothing. This. this is the greatest bit of 
lore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the whole, the whole. Um, they probably, they probably closed that, that off now. Um, yeah, and then yeah, Dion's parking lot. You know where <laughs> we went. Where are we going, everybody? We didn't have cell phones. We didn't text. It was like you called somebody, and it was like, uh, yeah, hey, Mrs. Bubba. Could you tell so and so that I'm going to be at Dion's at eight? Uh, yeah, okay, thank you. You know, you hope that they show up. You know, that's the way it works. So. <laughs> what, if any, are is your high school regret? Hmm. I can't think of any. Living life to the fullest. Okay, so no high school regrets, but if you could go back in time and tell your 18-year-old high school self something about the future, what would it be? Don't go to the river party the first night of college. I wrecked my truck, my dad's truck, actually, a new Pathfinder. I was hanging out with, you know, Vesa and Denise and uh, Angelo. Angelo was in my truck. And we were going down to the river party, and uh, it was the, literally the first night before classes. And a motorcycle was coming down this two-lane road and pulled out behind a car to try to pass it and was in my lane. And I was going to hit this motorcycle head-on, and uh, I had to I had to ditch this car. I had to get off the road because I was going to kill this person, or they are going to kill me coming through the windshield. And I wrecked the car. I rolled it three times and crashed into a car on the side of the road, which happened to be a uh, Donia Anna County Sheriff's home. And uh, I survived uh, by a miracle of some strange fate. I wasn't wearing my seatbelt at the time. And the entire cab was crushed. And I would have been uh, dead because uh, the entire side of my truck was crushed to the w steering wheel. And I almost died my first oh. night of college. And uh, that's how I started college, folks. It was just, uh, yeah, um, somebody in a motorcycle made a bad choice, and I had to decide to ditch the car, and that's what I did. And that was a very exciting and not very uh, auspicious start to my college career, but that's how it actually started. But I went to class the next day with broken glass in my arm. Mm -hmm. Um, still, uh, had to pick it out still later, but, um, you know, life will change on you quick and, uh, just be ready. Uh, you know, just be good with yourself if something happens. So make peace with everyone you need to make peace with. If that's, if you don't have peace with people that you love and, uh, I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad uh, I'm still kicking and uh, I'm loving life. But things can change on you. You don't know what's going to happen. So um, try to be peaceful with yourself and uh, make peace with the people you love. Uh, don't leave things to chance because things can happen that you're not expecting. Wow. Oof. Well, this is our last question, Jeff. What would be the title of mm -hmm. your high school memoir? The title of my high school memoir would be 
I came here for the munch pudding. We all did, really. Let's face it. <laughs> wow. Jeff, awesome. this has been such a heartwarming and interesting conversation. So cool to hear how you've pivoted throughout your life and stuck to your guns, stuck to what you knew was right for you. Really, really impressive. What are you going to do the rest of your day off today? Uh, let's see. I'm going to go out to the race track and watch some people do some time lapse. I'm going to do some laundry. Um, I'm going to order some uh, nice. Chinese carryout and uh, hang out in my room while my laundry is being done and watch Netflix or Apple TV. Sounds awesome. Thanks again. Jessica and Carla's High School Reunion is written, directed, and edited by Carla Silver and Jessica Slade. Our theme music, True Sight, is by Jared Matt Greenberg. Please subscribe and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.